This is CliffCentral.com. Constraint for time today, Jonathan. We can't have witty comebacks and just me slay media queens. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so we'll go straight into it. Our guest this week is Voldemort Pelser, editor of Report newspaper and the host of what's it? Car in Verslag. Sorry, indeed, Car in Verslag and Gesprek Wednesday nights on Cagnet. Wednesday night, Cagnet, Hobbs Nine, and Joe Afrikaans accent, guttural accent. Right, finally on the Renegade Report. I'm trying to retain some of it. You know, it gets lost so easily these days. Uh, that's the problem with the English. Yeah? They just like absorb everything and just spit you out. Hegemony. <laughs> yeah, hegemony, cultural hegemony. So, Voldemort, I mean, well, first of all, thank you for coming and such short notice. The main reason we actually wanted to bring you in was because as Consumers of English media, both of us on the show, we feel that there's been a bit of a dumbing down would be polite. Uh, it's been an absolute shit show to get good ethical journalism out there other than the leak whistleblower stuff. But generally speaking, the quality of journalism seems to have declined quite a bit. Has there been a, is there a difference between Afrikaans and the English media in South Africa? Like, do you work together on stories? Are the markets different? Are you able to say things the English aren't available, aren't able to? What is the general diaspora? So, no, there are absolutely no problems in the Afrikaans media. It's all strong and, and, and good. Um, end of conversation. No. Uh, so, so I wanted to distinguish between two things you said. One is right. quality of journalism. There, I'd say that Afrikaans and English journalists face many of the same resource constraints. Um, I and my peers at, in, at, at Sunday newspapers in the English market have the privilege of working on a slower news cycle. Um, our news office um, at Rapport, we uh, are not digital first. In fact, uh, we hardly tweet. Um, we're barely on social media. We don't have our own mm. website. Interesting. Um, and we publish for print um, because we uh, we think that the medium um, allows for a different kind of conversation to happen. It it facilitates a different uh, quality of conversation. I'll, I'd like to get back to that. But so I think in uh, in our weekly cycle, we have more time to first um, uh, mull on things, to digest a bit, uh, to wait for the dust to settle before we figure out okay what actually happened. Um, so there, there's a qualitative difference there, but that's a function of, of news cycle. Right. Um, on, on quality of journalism, um, you know, we try, we try our best. I think we often do a good job, but there, there are sometimes constraints. I think the bigger difference between uh, the Afrikaans and English media, um, and I'd say between us um, and and most other media, is that we enjoy and use more freedom of of, of speech. Um, we can ventilate and we ventilate uh, on a on a weekly basis uh, opinions and views um, in Afrikaans in the rapport, and on uh, and to a great extent also on my show, which would unleash hellfire. Uh, if it were uh, published or broadcast um, in English uh, because of the different nature of the scrutiny to which it is subjected. And I would argue uh, that, you know, the marketplace, it's a bit of a cliche, but the, the marketplace of ideas that we try to sustain mm. um, is freer and more robust for that reason. Do you think that makes for 
better conversations um, on, on your side of the aisle. I absolutely do, uh, because I, do, I, I don't think we publish what we publish because we think, uh, you know, we at last got to the absolute truth. It's just that we think that um, if you are committed to truth-seeking, uh, then it is your responsibility to confront yourself and your audience with as many different views and set of facts as, as, as possible. Um, and this induces, I think, a healthy, robust conversation, which is more likely to yield a reasonable position or, mm. uh, you know, or, or the true facts. I think that there are too many doors, uh, through which many journalists, uh, would not dare to to go. I think there are many doors which members, some members of the public or of the commentariat, uh, would not uh, want uh, journalists or commentators to, to walk through because it's regarded as dangerous territory mm. and dangerous opinions, um, which ought never to be ventilated, uh, because it's, um, it's not uh, regarded as politically correct or unfashionable. A lot of what you're describing is, I suppose what now could be called old school news. Uh, so you report on the news. What are the facts? Uh, and then it's interesting. You didn't put position first. So you said we look at what we report, what the facts are, and then that leads us to a position. And it would seem that a lot of media these days takes a position so they know where they stand on the worldview that they have. And then they report on the news. Accordingly, I think that many uh, cub reporters and, and journalism students are encouraged uh, prematurely and wrongly to develop Twitter profiles and social media uh, profiles before they develop reporting skills. Uh, they build um, for themselves a reputation as somebody who adheres to position A or B, who are you know fighters for social justice or who are aligned to course A or B and before uh before bothering to set out to find out what is the case um which of course is a dangerous thing if you commit to finding out dispassionately what is the case because it might lead you to change your position uh, and if you you know if the if the cart is uh, before the horses, uh, if your position is really so entrenched uh, that you can't change it without losing face, uh, it's a it's, it's a difficult thing. So you 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 know you fall into uh, the habit of looking only for facts, classic confirmation bias facts that would confirm what you already believe. And so I think these days many journalists' views on things are very well known, but the effort put into unearthing and excavating facts, mm. uh, which might contradict some of the earlier views, uh, often is neglected. And there's a real-world consequence to these um, ideas as well. Caligny for me was was quite a, an important mark. It was last was it last year I believe. It, uh, for those who don't know, um, two farmers arrested a a sixteen year old for stealing a sunflower apparently, and uh, this boy was later found dead. <coughs> An eyewitness said he was pushed from a bucky. The farmer said he jumped off the bucky while they were driving. That's the facts on the ground. There's a dispute. There's one key eyewitness. They've been arrested, released on bail. Media go there and they say what the conditions of the town is and they, you know, what's it called? Villainize. Vilify. Yeah. Vilify. Vilify the farmers for being racist. Um, and then Rian Malan goes there and he writes a wonderful piece about the town. That's what he writes about. And he gets called out for being a racist. And he says, I'm just describing what I saw there. I'm not here to make a story. I'm just describing what the town is. Houses were burnt down. All sorts of things happened. 
And to this day, we still don't know what happened because I think the case has collapsed or is not ongoing at the moment. They can't find the key witness. Um, like, what, there's something deeply wrong there if, if the media makes the story. I think that's a beautiful example. We were so taken with Rian's piece that we republished it in Afrikaans that week. But it, uh, and News 24 um, became the target of much criticism um, online for having um, run the piece. And, of course, for having run a piece by a white man. Uh, who was sent to Kulini to, to, you know, who, a white man who can't, by, by dint of being white, cannot possibly be trusted to be a dispassionate observer of what, of what had happened there. So, you know, um, I think that's a beautiful example of this knot that we've tied ourselves into, um, uh, you know, where, uh, you know, uh, the tyranny of identity politics come into play and the fact that you are, Regarded as unable, um, uh, of holding a, you know, an objective position uh, about something by virtue of your immutable traits. Like, it's even more rest. cynical than that. Sorry to, to, to interrupt. It's even more cynical. You're not actually a real victim. Uh, so we have a story about the, the coffin case, which is for me assault and kidnapping. It seems quite a straightforward assault and kidnapping case. Indeed. Um, but a, a white, a, a white farmer stabbed 150 times. We don't hear about it at all. So, so your whiteness does not, cannot keep you objective and does not make you a victim, irrespective of what happens to you. And this is, I'm, I'm talking about largely of English media as I read it. Um, and it's, it's, it's a bit frightening to see that. Uh, I agree. Uh, uh, the, the, I think what's interesting is the idea that these, you know, cause identity politics has this idea of intersectionality. So the problem is, is once you've dealt with one, hierarchy dominance hierarchy you will move on to the next dominance hierarchy um, and the idea that it will never come for you uh, is very uh, hopeful uh, to say the least um i just want to talk you've 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 spoken about you know journalism students um, you know making twitter profiles making personal brands and i think everyone does that these days uh, not just journalism students uh but it seems as if journalism is attracting activists. So if you are particularly passionate about something, perhaps at school, and you were big on, I don't know, environmentalism, and, and maybe that's a good thing. Um, it, it seems that you get pushed towards journalism because people are like, the way to spread your message is to get into a major newspaper or onto television or whatever it is, and then you can spread your message. And that aligns with celebrity journalists. So I know if uh, Ferial Hafiji writes a piece on something, I know exactly, certainly if it's political, I know exactly where, what it's going to say. Uh, I can, I know the, the route she's going to take. Um, it's, it's quite obvious to me. Um, so we've got that. And you also mentioned the commentariat and, and I feel that the commentariat. So we have activists becoming journalists, journalists becoming celebrity journalists and those celebrity journalists basically being the commentariat and the commentariat then control the narrative. What we are talking about is not factual necessarily. It's what the commentariat as activists are telling us to discuss. Right. So um, I, I don't want to make this uh, conversation about universities, but the same question was asked uh, in uh, recent years of uh, the the the, uh, the reason for existence of uh, of universities. Are they there to make the world a better place, or are they there to uh, aid the pursuit of truth? Right. And you can ask the same of journalism. Um, if your belief is that uh, 
you are there, you are in a newsroom, you are on Twitter to make the world a better place, to um, you know, to fight for um, for the, you know the vo- the voiceless or, or or people who are who are in actual fact powerless or who are regarded as powerless. Um, then, and there are many journalists who see that as their role. Then you see yourself more as an activist. Uh, we have a, a bit of a wall of shame in our in our newsroom of um, environmental reporting stories um, that uh, that say, for example, you know, in 2025 it's all over, and then three months later another story in 2050. It's probably all over. Yeah. So we have all of them up there. And, 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 because that's activism. That is not, that is, does not serve to the search for truth. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's very unlikely to be over in 2025. 20, and I saw Ivo Vachter also wrote a piece this week about plastic shopping bags, for example. Are they really good or bad for mm. the environment? Even that question is regarded as uh, heretical in, yeah. in some circles. But in defense of my trade, um, I want to say that many people are attracted to journalism because, yes, they are idealists, but they have seen or read of those who have bothered to study history tyranny. Um, and <laughs> the uh, offensive use of um, free speech – and with offensive, I, in that I include the use of free speech um, to kick up to those who are powerful, right, is a key tool in in holding the powerful to account. But then, of course, one must guard against be- be- becoming tyrants oneself. Is you know to 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 be sensitive to the fact uh, that, in as much as you can do a lot to challenge. Orthodoxy, your own views at some point becomes the orthodoxy of that time. Mm. Um, and you also need to be challenged. And I find far too little tolerance for the, um, challenging of the orthodoxies now held by the mainstream media, um, among, in the, in the fraternity. Was that the wrong word? I think that's the wrong word. Fraternity. Uh, yeah, yeah, perfect. That's fine. It's, it's, um, it, it is, it is the correct word. Patriarchal. It uh, is patriarchal. Yes. Voldemar, you it can't be the maternity. You, you, as, as an Afrikaans editor, I'm more eloquent than both of us put together as English podcasters. So you just go ahead. No, 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 you. no. I mean, what do you want to know? <laughs> um, yeah, so I can't disagree with, with much of that. I think, you know, journalism always could fight for the downtrodden. If you're a crime reporter, then you're reporting on crime and, and, and you're reporting on what happened and that is in some way helpful to victims of crime and the victim. If you're reporting on the environment, then assumptively you're, you, as long as you report the facts, um, you, you are doing something that is helpful to the environment because you're saying, look, here is a problem. Uh, this is how it plays out and this is the decisions that need to be made accordingly. Um, I, I think the, the problem is, is, you know, CNN uh, about 20 years ago, um, had a, had a tagline before they were not apples, bananas or whatever it was. Um, they had a tagline about how they reported how their reporters put themselves in the story. I can't exactly remember the exact tagline. It was well marketed, but that is exactly the problem with journalism today. Uh, in my opinion, is that people insert themselves into the story and the story becomes not just the story, but it becomes the journalist's ob- uh, subjective view of the story and their experience of the story, their feelings. Right. So I was listening to a, a news report recently broadcast from Zimbabwe on a radio station, which will remain unnamed. It was not this one. And uh, the the reporter uh, was being questioned from studio 
uh, about a cataclysmic event of the previous day. You know, the army had shot several people. Yes. Um, and it's, uh, and the anchor started by saying, so, uh, reporter X, um, what happened uh, a few hours ago? But more importantly, are you okay? <laughs> I nearly rolled my car. I thought, not more importantly. I'm sorry. I mean, of course, journalist lives matter, right? Hashtag. <laughs> but that's right. not why you exist, okay? Yes. Um, we cannot be there um, to fight uh, for ourselves. We must be able to demonstrate to the public that chooses us, because we don't choose our public. The public chooses us. We must be able, if we want to have the public fight in our corner when the tyrants come for us. We must demonstrate to the public that we are there for them uh, and for all the different publics that exist. Um, all those in uh, members of the public who have legitimate yearnings to be heard, uh, who who feel uh, that their constitutional rights, let's bring it home to South Africa, are infringed subjectively. You know, they believe <laughs> these rights are being infringed. The, the, the notion... Um, that it should be um, impossible or unfashionable to report about uh, the full range of South Africans and their yearnings and their subjective experiences of what's happening to their constitutional rights. Um, the notion that that is somehow wrong, I find very worrying. Um, I think that uh, it, it is it is popular to uh, to report on the yearnings of A, B, and C, but not D and E. Yep. Um, and and I think. In the Afrikaans media, we are freer to do, to do any of that. Uh, and of course, we try to do all of it, but not in equal measure because we too serve a particular community primarily yeah. and unashamedly. Well, I think you understand economics. You understand what the market is. You understand what their wants and desires are. You're not there to, you don't throw shit on the wall and see what sticks. You're trying to, to curate a paper for the people that are going to buy it. That makes sense to me. Yeah, not for people who I wished bought the paper, but for those who actually buy it. Because, you know, they, they right. are our audience. And I, and, and I think the, the, the idea of activist journalists oftentimes, mm. uh, you know, we've, we've heard this, um, you know, journalists would say about their viewers or listeners or readers, oh, you know, these people, they are so, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to, but you know, backward or whatever. It's like you can't, you must have a fundamental respect for your audience and for well, your readers. And that's we have true. That. Well, I think true. something we've spoken about a lot is, you know, we on the show will say openly that we're biased. Um, well, firstly, we're not the news. So um, it's funny. We've been accused recently of spreading fake news. Oh, I want to get into fake news just now, but, but it's hilarious because the only response I have to that is we're not a news organization. So you take what we say and then you assess it yourself using your brain. Um, so, um, but, but it's, it's, uh, you know, we, we, uh, oh, I'm lost. Yes, but book. you broadcast dangerous ideas. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, so we, yeah, we broadcast dangerous ideas. I, it's, um, it's just, oh, damn, I've, I've completely gone. Damn it, Jonathan, let me come in, knight in shining armor and save you. You can. Um, oh, well, I wanted to get to fake news, so I can leave that thought behind for a second if it comes back. Well, first of all, I want to know, before fake news, yes. Donald Trump attacking the press like he does, positive or negative? Mostly negative. Oh, really? No, I think, disagree. I, I think that, um, <laughs> that the, 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 the main problem, my main problem with that, um, is that he undermines 
all mainstream media as if all of them were equally guilty of X, right? As the question is also, what is X? What exactly is he accusing the media of? Where he accuses many journalists and some media of bias against his presidency, I would say he's, that's probably fair, fair criticism. Um, but the number of cases in which he has slammed uh, organizations that are regarded by him as hostile to him as fake news when they report quite factually about what his administration is doing wrong, I think is deeply problematic. And I think he has done that on, on many occasions. Mm. What bothers me, two things on Trump and the media, is that I think – the, the there's such polarization in uh, in in the US that media who have become entrenched as anti-Trump could, cannot be seen uh, to be giving me any credit for anything at all. Um, and the same, the converse is also true for pro-Trump media so, who very rarely venture into critical terrain. We saw some criticism now in Helsinki uh, mm. last month, but there's, you know, there's an unwillingness um, on the, let's call it the quote-unquote East Coast uh, to be swayed by, for example, Good, you know, good economic numbers. Uh, and th that's a long conversation in of itself. But, you know, let's assume for a moment that he does something which demonstrably aids the American economy, right? Mm. Um, he doesn't trust that much of the media would give him the credit that is due to him. But on the other hand, his uh, base, I think, are entirely unwilling to entertain valid and fair criticism against him. And I just quickly want to use an example of Coming from home, yeah, like this it, week, we published two weeks ago um, the first news report about this new book that had been published on that same day about apartheid ministers' involvement in alleged pedophilia in uh, Port Elizabeth. And so the reaction to that uh, showed me that, say, uh, let's be generous, half of the audience um, accepts these allegations as true without asking for any evidence. The other half dismisses it as fake without being willing to be confronted with any evidence. And I see this trend in the U.S. I see it here uh, that we've lapsed into a kind of a tribal, tribal politics where we are completely unwilling to entertain criticism against those who are seen as our own. And this is true for the Trump base. It's true for the Zuma base. Um, and we assume the worst <laughs> always. Maybe this is not a new thing. Mm. But we easily assume the worst without asking for evidence, talking mm. about fake news, without asking for evidence, um, when something is said that is damaging to those who we regard as foes. Mm. So I've got a theory on that, and I found my choo-choo train, so I can come back to that thought, and it feeds into this, which is um, – so we've been open about our bias on the show. We tell you who we are or how, where we stand. Um, you are, have told us basically about your bias. You say this is our audience and that's who we cater to. I think there's far too much media that says that, that doesn't say they have a bias. They, they, they telling you that they are completely objective, which I don't believe. No, it, well, if I may, they never say they're objective. They, they act like they are. They never say we are the most objective news. Well, well, no, no. Um, you know, I, I think uh, maybe I can't think of a local example necessarily that I can remember, but certainly there are uh, news organizations. I can, CNN, I can go back to again. CNN says they're, they're, they're an objective organization. They, they have said that they're, they're, the news editors have stood up and said we are an objective news organization. MSNBC, for example, has said we're not. We're on the left. Um, so there is a difference there. Now, 
the reason the reason why I think we find ourselves in the situation where you get these tribal sort of sides. One trusts the news, one doesn't trust the news, or one trusts their version of the news. The right trusts Fox News in America. Um, here, uh, they might uh, trust Politics Web, for example, uh, and the left trusts CNN, MSNBC, and here they would trust uh, News 24 seems to be heading that way and, and, and those publications. And you spoke about it with the environmentalism wall of shame. So what's happened over decades is that stuff has been published and people are like – May have even gone genuinely. So when, when in early 2000s, someone said, look, the polar ice caps are going to melt by, I think it was 2016. Um, someone might have read that in 2002 or whatever it was and said, wow, I'm, I'm really worried about this. This is terrible. And they may have gone and lobbied their friends and they may have become quite the environmentalist. And then in 2016, the polar ice caps didn't melt. In fact, part of the polar ice cap grew. And, um, they then go, hold on a second, something's not right here. And people are doing this across multiple jo- genres and multiple stories and narratives and timelines and et cetera. And in fact, you know, this, this argument that Trump has, has damaged the, the, the trust of the media, in fact, there's polling from the early 2000s in the United States that show that around 10% of American public actually trusted the media. Or, you know, very small numbers believe the media was unbiased. Okay, can I yeah, please uh, respond. partly agree with you there and say that uh, I, I didn't intend to suggest that, you know, if it weren't for Trump, uh, public trust in the media in the U.S. would be intact. Right? I, I, no, I, but I want our audience to get I, Okay, no, no, I, I, I agree with you that um, that – we as the media let's uh let's um use the uh, the, uh, the let's use that word um have not always acted in a way uh, that is deserving of the public's trust right um and that in in 2000 if um if uh, you know an opinion writer or a or a journalist or lo and behold a scientist um had the guts to say uh that the warnings about 2016 are alarmist. Uh, that person might have been, you know, smeared as a climate, a global warming denialist, for example. Yeah. Um, which, with which one dismisses that person's entire body of work. Absolutely. Um, which is a problem, which also would not qualify as good journalism, right? So I, I, I would urge uh, your listeners to also differentiate uh, between media platforms uh, and you know, and and gauge critically whether whether there's a willingness dispassionately to go and look for truth or not, and where there's more activism than truth seeking, uh, then you must uh, decide whether you can reconcile yourself with the uh, quality of the activism, um, and whether you're willing to admit that you're not interested in the truth, but you just you're just interested in having your views confirmed. Uh, but but you know the media landscape is not. Homo- homogeneous it's it's very varied mm. um you know quality differs a great deal even inside titles of course there's a huge variety of quality is also not uh consistent um across media platforms so you know what we need of course are critical journalists who are dispassionately truth-seeking critical readers and listeners and viewers who are willing to dismiss some views of commentator a and endorse others, which I always thought was normal. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but these days, clearly, if somebody says something which is out of line um, on Tuesday, that person can say something on Friday which is demonstrably true, but you can't be seen to be agreeing with him or her because of that blight on their record uh, from, from Tuesday. Sorry if I may interject. This is where Jonathan and I have a slight disagreement. So Federal Hafferty wrote a, a piece. Uh, she basically sort of halfway denounced identity politics because the EFF attacked India is now as racist. And she says, you know, maybe this idea is not a good idea. And I said, oh, Federal, you know, happy to hear. Welcome, welcome, welcome to our side, so to speak. I was a bit tongue in cheek and I'm glad that you have shifted positions. Jonathan just doesn't give a shit. He's like, no, fuck you. Nothing will happen. You can say what you want now. You still believe it, and it doesn't matter. I, I think I think my criticism there, obviously, is, is more around – I don't want to get into a, a hit job on Ferial because we have invited her, by the way, on the show many times, and she has yet to come. Um, but I don't want to get into a hit job on her. I think people in general, um, especially those who have exposed their, their ideology so clearly um, – it, it, they, they don't change that ideology very easily. And so I'm not very trusting um, when the, the only reason for you suddenly having a slight sea change is because it's working against you on this particular occasion. And I, I, I'm, I'm distrusting of, of that, and I would need to see more. Um, and it, it happens ac- across the board with people where they, 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 they uh, suddenly – Show you a little bit of light, and I, I get Ramon. Ramon w- believes in persuasion. Um, and, well, I don't believe it. Persuasion believes in you, Jonathan. Um, <laughs> you or not. Um, and I think that that persuasion is easier and and more likely to be the truth of the case in in people who are sitting on the fence or are unsure of where their position is. But in people who are already ideologues on particular topics, it's a lot more difficult to move them and i don't buy the oh it's hurting me so i'm against it and now i'm against it for everyone Uh, mm, that's that i find difficult to confront yeah well um i i saw feral's piece and i was uh, also encouraged by the critical view that she took then um of what is happening because i'm i'm deeply concerned uh, about the about, about the eff i think they're extremely dangerous even though they are small um, I was recently uh, asked at a speech I gave uh, why we give the EFF so much attention. And I, I had resisted up to that point. Um, uh, I was, I had resisted quoting from this wonderful but very uh, voluminous uh, book by uh, Orlando Fages, uh, The People's Tragedy on the Russian Revolution, which is uh, uh, which I'm um, working through. Um, I'd resisted quoting from it because the Bolsheviks in 1917 started out as very small uh, party. 22 e- people. Easily dismissed. Um, but between February and October, they filled um, the vacuum left by – uh, the center, center left who were unwilling to assert themselves properly. And I found myself while reading this book, um, wishing, and I'm not proud of these sentiments, but I found myself wishing that, uh, you know, this government or, you know, us as Democrats could just crush the EFF because they in some ways deserve to be crushed. Brings out the authoritarian. That was my instinct. It did. And, um, but a friend reprimanded me and rightfully said that if we start crashing, you know, who makes the call on who mm, gets crushed? Exactly. It might not be us. So, uh, you know, we, 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 uh, agreed in the early mid nineties 
on a on a set of uh, rules um, that would regulate what we do when we feel threatened. Um, we can't go about crushing, um, but we must find a mechanism of um, of neutralizing that danger. And I'm very worried. So I share Ferial's worry there. Um, I do think it's very human, though, to only get what the exact nature of a risk is once it is directed at you. So I'm not going to point fingers at Feral there. I myself have blind spots, you know, which are highlighted when for a moment somebody points at you and says, okay, you are fair. next. So I'll take a generous view on that. Yeah. And, and I think if even if there's a slight a one degree shift, you must jump in there and say, well done. Even for that one shift, because that gives a lot of affirmation. Unlike having a child, Jonathan. Not that I'm calling fairy well a child, but generally speaking, affirmation Wait, where did works. the child come from? <laughs> I, I don't know. Affirmation. Uh, Ramon's having parenting issues. Positive affirmation <laughs> is good for children. Is it? Is it really, Ramon? It depends what um, they do. No, they shit on the floor. Stop but they, that shit. Um, yeah. But um, I actually had a question. So you were you going into trouble or well, going to trouble with one person uh, for having the audacity to have an, an African singer write a piece for a newspaper. I Who mean, are you referring to? First, oh, um, he's, uh, Max Dupreer, our favorites. You know, the man who's, who's, who's correct 10 years after everyone else is correct and then thinks he's intelligent because he's correct then. <laughs> Which reminds me of the but, piece. But the singer you're Hold talking on. about. Um, no, Steve Hoffman is correct or incorrect depending on the circumstances. Max Dupree is correct 10 years after the fact. Reminds me of the piece he wrote where tobacco production in Zimbabwe is up to the levels it was 12 years ago when land reform <laughs> took place. So, so success says yes. A thousand more farmers producing exactly the same amount as five farmers 10 years ago is successful to you, Max. Well done. Nevertheless, he took great offense that uh, Steve Hoffman wrote a piece for a report. And you should be ashamed for having Steve Hoffmeyer, um, right for you. Now, first of all, time to fuck off. Secondly, why is that an issue about who writes for reports? Sorry, what was the piece on? So the piece was briefed in the week in which it became clear that the Zuma presidency was unraveling, right? So, uh, it was briefed in the first, first week of February. February, yeah. Right. Um, two pieces were briefed, in fact. Uh, one uh, was written by Anki Kroch, uh, the f- incredible poet and and uh, activist, and the other by Steve. Steve had met Zuma uh, a couple of times, um, and um, you know I thought uh, he could have an interesting perspective on the corrosive uh, effects that this man had had, uh, published next to that of Kroch. So uh, you know, uh, all hell broke loose. Um, because, not because, and this struck me, not because of what Steve had written. That barely came up. There were one or two people who had a problem with a reference in the piece, um, of mm. 1500 words. So the, co- the content um, wasn't the, content the problem. Was not the problem. The fact that he was given a platform was, was the problem. So it was this no platforming impulse that we see on American uh, university campuses that, you know, somebody who either hold a controversial view on the subject at hand, which was not the case here, or had held controversial views or said offensive things in the past about unrelated things, which was the case here, uh, is rendered um, so toxic forever that they can never be, that they should never be heard again. Mm. Not their views, the person can never be heard again. Rendered unpublishable 
for having held a view or mm. for holding a view which is not apparent in the in the piece written now of course uh it's important that i listen to these and consider these criticisms and make sure that uh, i serve our readers by the decisions that are made um on the op-ed pages um but I thought that that's what we were doing by offering them a variety of views and a variety of voices. He is regarded, though, in some circles as <clears throat> as somebody who should be um, completely excommunicated. Um, okay, and I'm not saying invite him into your home, but we are committed to offering a robust variety of views and voices on our pages. And uh, we must continue to do that. Even Ramon has written for Rapport. Even Ramon, I know. Even Ramon, yeah. the anarchist French Jew. I mean, not Jew, Arab. <laughs> you I can one. be Jew if you want to. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, with respect, Valdemar, my, my, I believe to this day my review is the only one that was published. I reviewed Kill the Boer by Adams Roots. And I believe that's the only mainstream review that book has received. So, Despite being a bestseller, by the way, much best, more bestselling than you, your books, Eusebius McKaiser, in case you're listening. Um, but it's the only one that's been publicly reviewed in the mainstream media. That, I found that very strange. Sometimes I say, oh, the book is not interesting. If you read the book, it is interesting. It's quite well written. You can argue with the statistics, but it's a, it's a rigorous piece of academic work, in my opinion. The, the, the fear that people apparently harbor of being seen to be sympathetic uh, to the views of person A or B rival the fears that, I mean, Copernic, G- Galileo had uh, way back of being yeah. seen to be saying uh, that the earth is round. Uh, you know, it, it could not be seen to be saying that which is in contradiction to the teachings. And that's not to say that necessarily, you, you know, because Galileo is the example of saying something against the teaching which was correct and subsequently proven. You may also be saying something against the teaching which is wrong, but then the way to go against that is to prove it wrong. Um, you know, use your speech back, use your uh, freedom of association to write for whichever paper you right for and 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 go for it i completely take that point so the solution to uh stupid speech or offensive speech is more speech which yes. contradicts yes. it and which ta- challenges it um because none of us have uh the truth you know but we must be committed to seeking it yeah i get the knowledge problem and sorry jonathan i'm interrupting no let's remember what was offensive speech black people could vote highly offensive Gay people could live together or exist in the first place. Highly offensive. Women could vote. Highly offensive. Or work. No slavery. Highly offensive. So if you think today that Steve Hoffman is the epitome of offense, you, I mean, the naivety is mind-blowing. I agree with you there. But we should also remember that every generation has its own blind spots, right? So... Uh, you know, it is, it, it, it perhaps shouldn't be as surprising, um, as it is often to, to many of us, um, that in this time that we live in, um, uh, there is not a self-reflexivity, you know, in the mainstream. The mainstream never is reflexive about its own faults. It's, it's just not. <laughs> There's a system of perverse incentives which disincentivizes right. every era's mainstream from being too critical about itself because it fears being upended, right? No, true. But I, I do wish, and I'm speaking for English journalists on my side, um, that they were aware of that. 
Um, we, we criticize journalists very often on this, on this program by, by name. And all they do is just call us ultra right and then carry on. It's like, no, 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 you, you haven't seen what we're saying. Why are you failing? Because between Jonathan and I, we want a good press. A press is an important bulwark against state predation and state oppression. And by integrating yourself into the cultural hegemony that the African National Congress has uh, imposed upon this country, you are part of them. You are not fulfilling your obligations as a free press. And that's what we tell them all the time. Yeah, and, and, and also back to that challenge with challenge the speech you don't like with speech. Uh, we we have constantly we want to have these conversations. If you you don't agree with us, please contact us. Uh, um, please, no, not some random some rando on Twitter. But if, if if you don't agree with us and you think you can ha- make a better point and you think you can destroy us, then then please by all means come on the show and let's have a conversation. We like having those conversations, and uh, I think. You know, it's great to talk to someone like yourself who's willing to put two columns side by side or two opposing views side by side. Just would like to see more of that in the media. And as you said, none of us are suggesting that all views are created equal. Yeah. Right. Uh, by confronting a public with different views, you're not suggesting that the quality is the same. And I'm not, I'm not going to talk about Stephen Anki now. Hmm. You're just saying that there is never only one view and there's never only one legitimate view on an issue. Um, and that the pursuit of truth requires us to hear as many of those as possible. Absolutely. I mean, Voldemort, it's such a pity that uh, our time has been constrained, but we'll have to have you back on. I'd love to come back. That'd be great. Um, thank you so much. You can all find Voldemort on Twitter at Voldemort. You managed to get the, you managed to get the, yeah, just the name there. Lucky. Perfect. Um, and, and uh, I mean, if you don't, even if you don't speak Afrikaans, buy a report. You might be surprised if you manage to read. I mean, I read a little bit of Afrikaans and, uh, yeah, I picked one up when I got my review out and it's, uh, quite a number of the readers are, are English and quite a, a number of the viewers are, are English. So yeah. So your Cake Nick show, uh, some of the inserts are in English. I was on your show discussing Trump with, uh, the audacity of saying nice, nice things about Trump. Yes. Us. Well, uh, well, I said that his, his Supreme Court nomination wasn't the end of the world and the person, who I was debating thought it was. Uh, anyway, we've since moved on. Of course, everyone's dead from net neutrality anyway. But uh, <laughs> but uh, as always, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can find Ramon on Twitter at Roman Kabanak, myself at Jonathan underscore Wit. The Renegade Report page uh, on Facebook, on Twitter at Renegade underscore Report. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Central.com.